This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. All right, it's another film study. Have you had enough of the bye week yet? Because it's time to look ahead. It's your Know Your Foe episode, and this weekend is uh, Steelers. It's not the same Steelers-Ravens rivalry as in years past, but it's always a great rivalry and an exciting Sunday. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing well. I still have trouble believing that this is a 1 o'clock game. It feels like it's been a long time since we've had a 1 o'clock Steelers matchup. Yeah, they don't, they don't always get one per year at 1 o'clock, but, uh, but yeah, they've been some great games regardless of when they've been played. All right, and joining us again this year is Alex from Steelers Depot. Alex, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. And yeah, 1 o'clock Steelers-Ravens, this feels like primetime football all the way. At least that's how it should be. Well, they really wanted to get, what is it, Eagles-Giants at Sunday night or something? <laughs> a a really exciting game. It's really incredible, honestly, that they would they would do that. Alex, so happy to have you here, as as always on the show. Josh, we need to get some business we need to take care of ahead of time here, or do we yep. get time to introduce Alex for a second? I mean, let's let's get take care of my bookie. You guys heard us talk about my bookie constantly because we love my bookie. You can go over to my bookie, use the code Ravens, get a nice deal. We'll talk about in a minute. Whatever you want to bet on, NFL, college. Uh, election, social issues. They've got all types of stuff on there. I'm always surprised some of the stuff that you can bet on on my bookie. I'm having a great week on my bookie as I took the Cardinals and then the Rams and then the Dodgers twice. Worked out really well for me this week. So make sure you go on over to my bookie and use our promo code Ravens to claim a deposit match, which is dollar for dollar up to a thousand bucks. So if you throw in a thousand dollars, they're going to give you $1,000 free to gamble with if you use our code RAVENS with your first deposit. Remarkable benefit there to get a full match on $1,000. And if you uh, have reasonable luck, you should be able to get through that and have something left by the requirement for the rollover to be done. So 
at the very least, you get some inexpensive gambling for a long period of time there. And if you really suck at gambling, it's still a lot of fun because <laughs> it adds some extra pressure on the game. So um, definitely my bookie used the code RAVENS. All right, Alex, tell us about Steelers Depot and your Twitter handle and a little bit about you. Yeah, I'm a writer for SteelersDepot.com. Been there since 2013. We just covered the Pittsburgh Steelers wall-to-wall. Um, every aspect from a statistical standpoint, analytical. We have our podcast as well, the Terrible Podcast. We do Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Bring on different beat writers and different guests and things like that. And then you can follow me on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazor and uh, find all my Twitter nonsense over there. Highly recommended follower. And you should... Follow the the big names for the other teams in the AFC North. Do yourself that favor and at least get the news so you're not having to ask other people, you know, what's going on with the Steelers injury report and whatnot, because I'm sure Alex already has tweeted about that, for example, today. Well, I appreciate you saying that I'm, what'd you, what'd you say, some of the, the big guys? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not one of the big guys, but I appreciate the compliment. All right, now, definitely a big analyst. Now, Ken, can I squeeze in just a moment of Ravens talk before we dig into Steelers talk? Yeah, because sure, if you must. Because we have not – there's one guy that we haven't talked to about who joined the Ravens practice squad this week, and it's a big name, even though it's a practice squad. I'm sure Alex is concerned about Des Bryant joining the Ravens. <laughs> well, he was just taking a drink of water there, and I noticed it almost came out almost on his camera. Spit, almost a spit <laughs> take. <laughs> I, was, I was going for the spit take. But people get excited because Des Bryant is a big name or was a big name, and uh, – I feel like when I look on my Twitter feed that people think this is like signing Anquan Bolden or Steve Smith. Because people say so. <laughs> yeah, because that's what they're comparing it to on Twitter, and that's why I wanted to take a moment for you to kind of set some real expectations here. I, I, I'm going to start, and then, Alex, I really want to hear your respi- reply to this, but Des Bryant in his first day at practice wore a scout team jersey with number 11 on it, indicating that he might have been playing the role of Chase Claypool on the scout team trying to do that. Because I believe 88 is open for the Ravens. I can't believe that's not the, the number that, that Des Bryant will eventually wear if he ever suits up for a game. But, uh, uh, I, you know, I think the chance is probably still less than 50% that he ever plays, but certainly he's cleared one of the hurdles to be signed to the practice squad. Obviously, he's passed a conditioning test of some sort to be playing. Those weren't sure things. So he's beaten the odds already to a certain degree. Are you asking for my thoughts on the? Yes, right? sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I I assume he's not playing this weekend, right? I think that's a pretty safe bet, correct? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, if he wants to wear that number eleven and try to run like Chase Claypool, I mean, I don't know how good Des runs it at his age right now, coming off some of the injuries he has. But um, maybe we'll see him on Thanksgiving. I know you guys are looking for a second receiver. I know Hollywood Brown's having a really strong year. You know, Mark Andrews, Hollywood are really the focal point of the offense. You're trying to find that other outlet, whether that's uh, Willie Sneed or Miles Boykin. So I guess it's just, just trying to find another number two true wide receiver. But, um, yeah, I don't know if Dez is going to be the guy ultimately. Yeah, we were uh, – I, I just say we're not really high on the acquisition to say the <laughs> least. It's, it's cheap. People say it's a low-cost, high-reward move. I think it's a low-cost move with probably zero reward. <laughs> but we'll see how it uh, – how it turns out. Now, see, I was thinking I could go onto one of these uh, Chinese websites and order my Des Bryant Ravens jersey now, <laughs> and maybe by the time it arrives, he'll be up with the Ravens. Well, you, 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 if you have some extra money burning a hole in your pocket from your gambling winnings, by <laughs> yeah. all means, go ahead. But you know, uh, the fifteen buy the fifteen dollar jersey. <laughs> so, but uh, all right, let's get into the Steelers Ravens, kind of what the Steelers did this offseason and uh, pros- prospects for this season. All right, obviously, Alex, big moves from last year to this year for the Steelers. Uh, the return of Ben Roethlisberger, we're going to talk about a little bit, but talk about the, the acquisitions this offseason uh, and a little bit about the draft as well to start with. Yeah, in terms of free agency, the big acquisitions were tight end Eric Ebron and fullback Derek Watt. Now, unfortunately, Watt's been dealing with a hamstring injury. I think he is going to play this weekend versus Baltimore. He practiced full today after missing the Tennessee Titans game, so that'll be good. Really, that move was almost as much, if not more, about special teams value than it was at fullback, but it certainly helped in in both regards, and he's played well, especially on the kick coverage unit and things like that already this season. Eric Eric Ebron, I think, has been... Um, overall a positive influence on the offense you know last year granted there were 
so many issues with the with the offense as a, as a whole and quarterback playing things like that but they really just didn't have production over the middle of the field partly because Juju was banged up uh, for a large chunk of the season as well but they didn't have that presence at tight end and Ebron is bringing that and I think last week versus Tennessee and that win was a perfect example of that whenever you face a defense like the Titans that wants to play a lot of too high play a lot of soft zone coverage those tight ends are going to definitely make some plays over the middle of the field and Ebron was capable of that so as a blocker he's just bad I mean he's just not a good blocker but there is some want to and he's got just enough size at 6'4", 250 to be able to get in the way in terms of leverage on his down blocks and things like that he can't combo block he can't base block he's going to be in trouble whenever they ask him to do that it's had some really negative results but as an effort guy as someone that can be a presence between the numbers I think he's been an asset so far is there is there much use of him with the Steelers run game at getting him out into level two or level three without making a block at level one and would he have the quickness to do that and engage a smaller man in the run games? That's a big thing for Ravens tight ends that can't block. Right. Well, I feel like every Ravens tight end can block, so I don't know who you guys are comparing <laughs> it to. You guys always have good blockers. But, yeah, that's definitely been part of the equation where you're not base blocking the DN or the, the outside linebacker. You're working and cracking the safety or taking an angle to the Mike linebacker. But there have been times, honestly, where he's he's blocked at the first level. They had a great down block on J.J. Watt a couple weeks mm-hmm. ago, and that's you know that's just leverage and angles. It's not pretty. It's not creating a lot of movement. It's just trying to seal that off so the running back can run off his outside hip. So when you're smart with your leverage and angles because there's effort, and again, he's not a small guy. You, know, you see so many of these tight ends today that are – 6'2", 230 coming out. They're just slightly bigger receivers coming out of the college game. I mean, Ebron is a pretty big dude coming out of North Carolina. It's just the technique and the strength functionally really isn't there. But he can, he can get in the way enough, and that makes him a good enough blocker for what the Steelers need. And the backup tight end, the number two tight end, Vance McDonald, is actually a pretty good blocker. So it kind of works well. All right. How about the draft? Now, Claypool, obviously the, the biggest name coming out of this draft. But who else? Who else? Talk about it from top to bottom. Yeah, overall, it was very weird not having a first-round pick for the first time since, I think, 1967 it was. I mean, pre-Chuck Knoll stuff, the last time they didn't draft in the first round, obviously that was part of the Minka Fitzpatrick deal in 2019 that that traded away the first-round pick. But um, I I think overall, just top to bottom, I've been impressed by this rookie class and the impact that these guys have been able to make right away given the lack of a total absence of a spring program, no rookie minicamp, no OTAs. Uh, no three-day minicamp, things like that, and no preseason on a very weird training camp overall. They couldn't practice at their normal location for training camp for the first time in in, in decades. Um, so I think just the readiness of guys like Chase Claypool, I think, you know, uh, Kevin Dotson, the guard from Louisiana Lafayette, Alex Highsmith from Charlotte, um, those guys have all made positive impacts so far, some bigger than others. I think Claypool has certainly gotten the headlines. Dotson's really played well at, at, at guard, starting for David Acastro when he's been injured, and then Alex Alex Highsmith has kind of emerged and taken over the number three outside linebacker role as the season's kind of gone along. But I think the one thing that's that's the key to, to some of that success is that the, the Pittsburgh normally drafts underclassmen, especially early. You look in the first and second rounds, they historically consistently draft redshirt sophomores and juniors. This year, they went with a lot of seniors. Claypool, Dotson, Highsmith were all seniors. I think the pandemic had a lot to do with that. These were guys they, they knew more, were more comfortable with. They had a clearer evaluation of these guys and I think a byproduct of that was they got guys that were more mature physically and mentally and more just year one ready to handle a pandemic and handle all the unique obstacles that a rookie's going to have on top of the normal obstacles a rookie's going to have so I'm just really impressed with the overall conditioning and level of readiness and lack of mental mistakes for some of these guys and I think the fact that they were seniors coming out has played a big role in that okay so they more grown man strength for players like Dotson, say, to play their position. Talk a little bit about Anthony McFarlane because he's a Maryland guy and what he, where he is in the Steelers' rotation right now. Yeah, he was the, I think, lone underclassman of the draft. But again, there were some familiarity with him where Matt Canada, the Pittsburgh Steelers' new quarterback coach, coached McFarland at Maryland. So they had that common thread there. Now, he's worked in the rotation a little bit. James Conner's still the feature back. He's still the bell count. He's been healthy this year. So overall, he's the guy that McFarland has worked in occasionally. I wouldn't call him a change of pace guy, just someone that comes in whenever Conner needs a breather and, and, and certainly brings an element of speed to this game we've seen in limited fashion so far. So it's been a relatively small impact. I mean, Conner's getting 
75% of the snaps. Benny Snell is a third down situational goal line type back. So there isn't a big role there for McFarland right now, but you can definitely see that element of speed. And that's nice to have because obviously James Conner isn't that guy. Benny Snell isn't that guy. Jalen Samuels isn't that guy. So it's good to have that change up and have that uh, different type of running back in the mix. Okay. Now, the other thing I like to ask people about is the third and fourth year players on the Steelers. And it seems like that's a particularly important question for the Steelers this year with some of the cap situation they're in, which we're going to get to in a second. But who do the Steelers have really that's in year three or year four, who they're either concerned about losing to free agency or that maybe a guy would they would sign early after a third season? Well, in terms of the year four guys, I think, because they got a ton of free agents after this year. I mean, this roster is going to look so much different and so much worse this time next season just because of the looming cap crunch and um, how many free agents are, are set to be both fourth year guys and guys when coming off the second uh, years of, year of their contract or second contracts, I should say. Um, the biggest one is Juju. I mean, he's going into last year of his deal and there's going to be a question about whether or not he's going to be able to be retained. You franchise tag him and, and things like that. He's playing well this year. The stats don't always show it, uh, but I think he's having a really good season and a bounce back from last year. In terms of some third year guys that are playing well and um, guys that I think are ascending wide receiver James Washington has become a situational deep threat but certainly a guy that can get over the top of a defense and, and make big plays and I've been really impressed with uh, Terrell Edmonds the strong safety for Pittsburgh in his third year out of Virginia Tech he was definitely criticized heavily by myself included uh, his first two seasons as someone that just felt like a reach it felt like a reach at the time everyone thought Edmonds was a, a day two pick not a day one type pick um, but he's definitely impressed he's grown physically mentally his ball skills and coverage ability has improved. He's no Minka Fitzpatrick by any means, and the dude hasn't had a turnover since, I think, week three of his rookie season back in 2018. But he's become a solid, reliable tackler and a good box safety and somebody that I think is starting to shed. I never considered him a bust even last year, for example. He wasn't an Artie Burns or a Jarvis Jones or some sort of just terrible total whiff of a first-round pick, but he was definitely a disappointment. But I think he's starting to shed that disappointment label and turning into a, a solid safety in your number three. Is Edmonds someone who can play on the back end alone or as a split, or really is he more of a guy that they want closer to the line of scrimmage uh, in, say, a dimeback role or as a strong safety that's closer to the line? You definitely want him closer to the line. The closer he is to the line of scrimmage and to the action, the better he plays. He'll play split safety, and he can cover the deep half, and that's fine. He does a little single high, but you really don't. It's not where he's comfortable because, again, the ball skills are, are, are pretty limited, and that's Minka territory. They'll rotate some cornerbacks, Mike Hilton, Cam Sutton, who have some safety ability and, and, and rotate to the deep middle or deep half. So Edmonds doesn't always have to do that. So he's definitely better near the line of scrimmage. He's in the box about 25% of the time, uh, according to our charting. So... Um, closer to the line is where he's going to thrive. Two two guys you mentioned, or one guy you mentioned there anyway, uh, Cam Sutton, a, a cornerback, is in year four coming up, uh, I assume, on, on free agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Hilton is in year four. I believe this is his RFA year. And Matt Filer also there? Uh, are gonna, they will all be unrestricted free agents after this season. Okay. So do you have a sense of what the Steelers are going to do. I mean, is extending Roethlisberger part of the the, the first step in a plan like this? Or do they, is this at the point where they finally say, well, we have to eat some dead money and finally say goodbye to Ben? No, it's not going to be saying goodbye to Ben. Now, the question will be, will Ben want to do an extension and how he feels and what his commitment's going to be? But assuming he wants to do that, that's probably going to be almost certainly in that case, if he's willing an avenue to help clear up some money because there is a massive cap crunch that every team is dealing with Pittsburgh, especially they were already going to be in a pretty dicey cap situation pre pandemic. Now, post pandemic it's, it's, you know, tenfold multiplied how, how difficult the situation this is to navigate. So, I mean, I could just give you the laundry list of, of, uh, for agents after this season on offense, it's Juju, James Connor, Matt Filer, left tackle Alejandro Villanueva, um, defensively, it's Bud Dupree, who almost certainly will not return, mm-hmm. which will be a huge loss for the Steelers' defense. Him and T.J. Watt are, to me, probably the best edge duo in football right now. Mike Hilton, Cam Sutton, as you mentioned, some defensive linemen um, are also going to be unrestricted for Asians. I mean, there are just a slew of guys, and they may be able to keep a couple of those lower-end guys, but they will not be able to keep the majority of those guys, and they're going to have to try to replace that through the draft because you will not have the funds to do it through for agency. And again, this roster is going to look a whole lot worse a year from now. Right. Well, it's the question comes up. I mean, other teams seem to be doing the 
uh, tank and then win. They really want to ride that roller coaster parity the NFL salary cap provides. And if you're next to contend after Ben Roethlisberger is gone, why extend Ben Roethlisberger? Why not just allow the, the cliff to fall off in 2021 and move forward with the organization that way? Well, I mean, as long as you have Ben, you got a chance. I'm not saying that they can't win a Super Bowl next season. It's just this is just going to be the best chance to do it. So if if Seven's willing to play, you you, you play him and you pay him because that's going to be the dude to give you the best chance to win a Super Bowl. We saw how terrible this offense went into the tank without him last year. So you're right, Ken. Inevitably, that day is going to come. But the further you can push that down the road, and especially for I don't think he'll ever admit it, but for Kevin Colbert, who's going to retire in a year or two, if he can go out when Ben goes out, then that's probably perfect for him, and he can just walk when Ben walks as well. Um, so you want to just try to stretch that window open as, as long as possible. Okay, so it could be – the rumors I've heard of are of a two-year extension, so that would mean three more years of Roethlisberger potentially to get that cap a little bit under control. Reasonable? Yeah, I- yeah, that sounds reasonable. I don't have any insight to what the particulars of a deal would be. The Steelers don't discuss this stuff in season, so I'm sure that will be get, will be addressed shortly after the, the offseason begins. But, um, yeah, two-year extension probably sounds reasonable. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about Ben, the quarterback, uh, so far this last year. Obviously, he's come back a very different guy than he was before. And the thing I'm seeing mostly is a guy who really wants to get rid of the football quickly, more of a surgical striker, late Peyton Manning than a play extending frustrator of the Ravens that we had in previous years. Yeah, I think there's, there's no doubt he's become that kind of guy, you know, for such, for the first half of his career, he was backyard Ben. He was Sandlot Ben, make it up as you go along, throw Terrell Suggs off, take a punch from Haloti Nada, like that kind of Ben. And he certainly evolved when he's had to, because he couldn't do that at 38 years old. He's obviously not capable of that just in terms of his physical decline overall. You know, your knees are probably pretty sore when you're 38 when compared to when you're 24 years old. But honestly, he hasn't changed post-injury. In 2018, he was one of the quickest quarterbacks in terms of snap to throw. And that's the same story here in 2020. He is now the uh, quickest quarterback in terms of snap to throw. I think it's about 2.3 seconds. And so that's no different from really where it was in 2018 or only just very, very insignificantly. So if you look at the numbers, um, but one, one downside to that is, and you saw this in the Tennessee game was defense alignment. They're not stupid. They know how quickly Ben gets the ball out. And so it's leading to more tip passes this year. I think mm-hmm. he's got seven batted balls this season. One of them resulted in a pick last week versus Tennessee. Jeffrey Simmons got a hand on one. So I'm sure Baltimore realizes this and, they're going to have their interior linemen or even edge rushers that are going to be able to key RPOs and when linemen are cutting and reading Ben's shoulders and a three-step drop is coming, let's get your hands up because you're not going to get to him. So um, I think Ben has had to evolve into that rhythmic pocket passer to, to preserve and prolong his career. But the one downside of that has been more tip passes, more batted balls, and that's been a bit of an issue this season. All right, some really interesting stuff there. Uh, is Ben still holding the football some such that there's hope for sacks? I mean, obviously the Ravens just got Yannick Ngakwe, and one of the things that's exciting about that is the opportunity to get some coverage sacks for a defense that has a very good secondary and to let those develop over time. Is, is Roethlisberger evolved as a quarterback that he's too, he's too smart to hold the ball even really ever? Well, he'll still be backyard Ben occasionally. It's just not commonplace. He had an underhanded flip to Eric Ebron last week. That that. was a Mahomes-type play. So he'll still do that occasionally. It's just not part of his regular arsenal. So he can be sacked. He's got eight sacks in six games this year. So the numbers have been low, obviously, and the O-line has has pass-protected really well. And I think guys like, you know, Alejandro Villanueva have played extremely well this season. Some young guys like... Kevin Dotson, when he filled in for the cash to at right guard, Chakua for who lost a right tackle job to begin the year, became the starter week two when Zach Banner went down with a torn ACL in week one against the Giants. He's playing really well as well, and that's been impressive. Another third, fourth-year guy that that is stepping up. But um, you can still get to him, of course. I think it's just harder than years past. All right, fair enough. Let's talk about the offensive line a little. You, still, you just hit on some of them, but go across from left tackle to right tackle if you would and tell us who the Steelers have there. 
Sure. The starting five this weekend is projected to be Alejandro Villanueva at left tackle, Matt Filer at left guard. He was the right tackle last year, kicked inside with Ramon Foster's retirement. Marquise Pouncey at center, David DeCastro is back at right guard, and Chuck Wilma, a core four, is at right tackle. So it's been a solid starting five. They've had their awards. Filer's been a little weak in pass pro, a little bit weaker than what I thought he would be. But overall, I think this unit has done a good job. And second-year offensive line coach Sean Surrett, who took over from Mike Munchak full-time last year, I think has definitely taken big strides forward in year number two. Okay, so Marquise Pouncey is a player who is now 31 and has shown a little bit of decline probably over the last couple of years. What can you tell us about where he is right now? Is that an accurate description, first of all, that I've, that I've given, or is he still playing at a, a kind of a Pro Bowl level from your point of view? Yeah, I think it's fair to say there's been some level of decline. I mean, a site like Pro Football Focus really hammers on this on that guy more than anyone else, and they, they make him out to be some sort of like below-average uh, backup type, and he's certainly not that guy. Last year was weird with snaps. His snaps were really erratic in 2019. I don't know if that had to do with the quarterback change and the revolving door from, from Ben to Mason Rudolph to Duck and that rotation they had the rest of the way or what, but it's been cleaned up this year and the snaps are more consistent, and, and that's good to see. He's dealing with a, a foot injury. It's been recurring for a couple of weeks. He's had to leave at, at the end of games for a couple of weeks now with a foot injury, so I don't know if that's impacting him, but I know Baltimore always gives him fits, and Brandon Williams and those big guys up front, they're always a handful of pounds. He's never had as much success against the big, strong, zero and one techs as he does against the quicker three tech type of guy. So um, Pouncey's still playing well. There's been slight decline in Baltimore. I think we'll give him his typical Raven difficulty. All right. Uh, wide receivers. Let's, let's go to those. And obviously everybody's excited about Chase Claypool and seeing him for the first time in this rivalry. It's the strength of the team, Ken. Um, the depth they have here is remarkable. And so it's always hard to predict. You know, people ask me, well, who's the number one receiver in this offense? And I say, there really isn't one. I mean, they're all capable of being that guy on any given week. In week one against the Giants, it was Juju with two touchdowns. Um, Chase Claypool had four touchdowns against the Eagles. James Washington had a big game versus the Browns. Juju and Deontay Johnson returning from injury had big games versus Tennessee last week. So there's so much well-roundedness on this team that it really is just based on how a defense wants to play you. If you're Cleveland, two weeks ago, they played a lot of single high, a lot of uh, jamming at the line of scrimmage, a lot of press man coverage, and that allowed Pittsburgh to open up the deep ball. And so Claypool had a big catch down the left sideline for, I believe, 36 yards. James Washington had a 28-yard touchdown on a double move that got him wide open versus Denzel Ward. Tennessee, meanwhile, had a totally different approach. They played as I said earlier, a lot of two-deep zone, a lot of soft coverage. They kept everything in front. So that let Juju and Deontay Johnson and Eric Ebron have big games underneath. I mean, Johnson and Juju were targeted, I think, 14 and 15 times respectively. And James Washington and Claypool basically did nothing that game. So it really just depends on how a defense plays you, and that's going to dictate who's going to get the football, whether those are deep passes to, to Claypool and James Washington or more of the shallow crossers and zone sits with Juju and Deontay Johnson, but a lot of weapons here. And I think that's one reason why this offense has been so successful. Uh, of course, the Chiefs picked the Ravens apart with a lot of shallow crossers, a lot of rubs and those rub and pick routes off the bunch formation that, that show up for Pittsburgh for years mm-hmm. have always been very frustrating. And, you know, some there's, I won't get into it, but anyway, there's <laughs> feel some anger. Yes. Well, there, going there, on there. there's, there's been some various levels of difficulty, but the one thing <laughs> that Patrick Queen has failed at really as a rookie is in really understanding how to cover those short routes. And a lot of it is just failure directly off the line of scrimmage against bunch formations and against really understanding his responsibility there. But he's also had problems with trailing a crossing route that passes through his zone and not really understanding how to pass off to the next zone. So Patrick Queen's been a, been a fine player so far this year, but I'm thinking if there are opportunities to get him off the field on third down, the Ravens now have the personnel to do that. What personnel? Who who you bring? Well, with Yannick, with Yannick and Gakwe, the, the the five I think we'll see on third down. We'll play the Ravens play a dime defense traditionally on third and pretty much anything, third and five, third and four, even or mm-hmm. more. So th- then you'd see five uh, guys if it's third and maybe six or longer, and that would be Judon and Bowser, who are both have a lot of, of short zone coverage area skills you'd see uh, Campbell of course probably playing on one edge you see Ngakwe on the other edge and then you see uh, McPhee somewhere in the middle by the way McPhee tremendous resurgence the last two weeks he's been very dangerous and so you know he's one of the players I really hope you know can make a difference he certainly is a tip ball guy too so uh, he and Campbell both 
What's the story on Bowser? He was I liked him coming out of Houston. It felt like he had a quiet start in Baltimore. Was that just lack of opportunity, or am I am I missing something with Bowser? I think I think the last two years have been very good. Um, it, to, you know, for his first two years, he was a mild disappointment. This is often the case with with players uh, that come to Baltimore, and you want to get him in on the defenses. It's already a fairly deep defense. And so, you know, it becomes harder to get those guys in. He showed a little more bend as a pass rusher last year, but that's really not his strength. What his strength is, is he brings scheme to the Ravens' pass rush by being able to drop to coverage when he needs to. He's a good stunter. The Ravens now have an unbelievable core of under-stunt players. To have three guys, really Wolf, Campbell, uh, Matabike, who really can support underneath stunts. And they have lots of guys who can do overs. Judon and Bowser, both the... the um, uh, options. So I think one of the things we'll see, and this is a Know Your Foe episode, so I want to get back to the Steelers in a second. <laughs> Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture, and when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. But I think we'll see Junon off the line of scrimmage a little bit in this game, rushing from what is effectively a Mike linebacker position, and he's very savvy about getting his gap there. So it'll be one of the things. And unfortunately, I think Ben gets rid of the ball quickly, and it probably will not have the impact we'd hope. But I really expect Judon's stats to just go through the roof based on the acquisition of Ngakwe. That's an interesting point, Ken, and I'll get back to the bunch thing in a moment here, but it's funny you mentioned about how effective that those guys are at stunts. I was going to say the same about Cam Hayward. Cam Hayward, to me, might be the best crasher in football. Mm-hmm. Like, Bud Dupree should definitely give Cam Hayward a commission when he gets <laughs> paid this offseason because of the number of times Hayward's been able to attract double teams, and he gets crafty as a veteran. He will, when he crashes into the, the B-gap, he will grab the tackle's jersey, the left tackle's jersey, while still drawing the attention of the left guard to ensure he basically occupies both guys so Dupree can loop in underneath and Dupree's gotten multiple pressures and sacks this year off of that. So um, and those are just the veteran things you pick up along the way that refs never call, but they're Oh uh, yeah. They used to call it on Casey Hampton occasionally, but it mm. used to piss me the hell off that they didn't call it more. And he was, <laughs> I, I, he's definitely a grab two players and let the, let the rest of the play take care of itself. He said guy. the same about Nada and Kelly. Yeah. And those guys. It's a two way street, my friend. Yeah, all right. I, can't, I don't know. Whatever. We won't say he's worse. Let's just keep going here. To, <laughs> Wide to receiver go, course. Yeah. Go yeah, to go back to the bunch, um, yeah, the Steelers have been using that a lot. They're using a ton more motion this year. I think they're fourth in motion rate this year, hmm. and, and they were terrible last year. I don't know where they, exactly they were last year, but they never used motion, and certainly the quarterback play affected that. But but they brought in Matt Canada, who kind of bringing that college style of offense from Pitt and Maryland and LSU and places like that. So they're using a ton more pre-snap motion. They're getting receivers involved in the run game, Chase Claypool. They got a pretty mm-hmm. unknown guy in Ravey McLeod, a little speedy return guy. He's the kick and punt returner right now. So that'll be a new thing for, for Baltimore to handle this year in terms of Pittsburgh. I know they saw it in Kansas City, so it's not brand new for Baltimore to defend conceptually, schematically. But for Pittsburgh, you're going to see a lot more pre-snap motion and watch that little pick and rub play on anything third and three and, and, and closer. They're going to mm-hmm. bunch it up. They're going to run a slant underneath, and they're going to hit Claypool or Juju or Ebron. So Patrick Queen better be ready to defend the bunch slant on third and three and closer. There you go. There you go. I mean, it's it certainly uh, the Steelers use it more as a release and diagnose the coverage method. They're usually in motion with the wide receiver as opposed to a tight end. Um, in terms of the pre-snap motion? That, that's what I'm asking. Yeah, well, it used to be just more of an ID cover thing, see if it's man zone, but now they're using it, honestly, to to block defenders with receiver motion, or they'll hand it off, and they'll run jets and end the rounds and, and, and things like that. So it, it's really evolved, and that's probably a, a lot to do with Matt Canada, but I give offensive coordinator Randy Featner a lot of credit for, for being innovative and allowing those ideas to be integrated and kind of leaving your ego at the door. So I got a lot of respect for him for, for doing that. But um, yeah, it's more than just window dressing or IDing coverage. It's actually become a real staple, integral, effective part uh, of the offense, which is a huge difference from really any year and in, in, in under Big Ben. Okay. 
All right, we talked a little bit, I think, about the running backs before. You can go through a little bit more on that. But what I'm really interested in is talk about whether the, the Steelers now prefer to run out of 11 or either out of 21 or 12, uh, where I think, I think of the Steelers as being a team that doesn't often get heavy. Yeah, um, they've tried to. Last year, they, they didn't have their fullback healthy for the entire season, Roosevelt Knicks, and they've had fullback injuries this year already. So, I mean, they're obviously a base 11 personnel team. Three receiver sets are going to be the norm. Um, so that's where you're naturally going to run the football out of just because that's where you're running most of your snaps out of. But they'll get heavy. They'll run two tight end sets. And assuming Derek Watt's available this week in some short yardage situations, they will um, use a fullback. They're using a six offense alignment a good bit. That's now Gerald Hawkins, who wow. uh, was traded last year, came back this year, and they've had some injuries at tackle. So um, they will get heavy with a six offense alignment and do some different stuff that way. And um, they can really run out of anything, again, commonly. 11 personnel because that's just what their base offense is overall, but they can run out of 12 or 22 or put in a, a six offensive lineman. You, you you mentioned the six offensive lineman because I remember Zach Banner having a very effective game of blocking as the sixth offensive lineman last year, and I can't remember if it was in December or was the earlier game. Something tells me it might have been the earlier game. It and, might have been both, but yeah, I think I think you're right. Okay, he might have played about eight to ten snaps as and and the the sorry the Steelers ran very effectively like over six yards per carry on the snaps that he was in. The funny thing about the Ravens is now they hardly ever go to base defense anymore. Hardly ever. Really? When when they do, it's usually as a response to a sixth offensive lineman. And it's like base is no longer base. <laughs> you, uh, <laughs> you might be yeah. in base some this week because the Steelers will run that probably about ten to twelve snaps. Okay. All right, very good. Uh, other commonplace formation, you mentioned bunch. I think we've pretty much covered this, but is there anything, anything else they run fairly off on offense that's worth looking out for? Um, in terms of the pass game, there aren't a whole lot of common threads. They run Hank. I mean, every team runs Hank, the curl flat, tight end run that little five-yard over-the-ball route. They'll run on a first and ten on the scripted plays, uh, usually once a drive, basically, um, in terms of their opening uh, drive of the game. So Hank's pretty common. In terms of the run game, I mean, they'll run power. And, and the difference this year is that really last year and for the last several years, whenever they've run power in the run game, it's always been right guard David DeCastro pulling. They really couldn't pull the left guard Ramon Foster. He just wasn't, he could do it a little, but it wasn't the staple. Now they're able to pull both guards. Matt Filer can pull as well and as effectively and as often as David DeCastro is able to pull. So that's given this offense and this run game a more balanced attack and um, everyone would likes to run the football to the right. It's generally the strength of your formation, and they really were limited by that in past years. So that's helped open up the offense, open up the run game. I think that's definitely had some positive results. So in terms of run game, you'll get inside zone, you get power. The pass game, not a ton I can really give you. Um, the bunch stuff, the slants, and Hank is a pretty common concept. All right. All right, very good. Let's go to the defensive side. Uh, and, and the first thing I really like to do is really understand what are the base uh, pass defense looks and and then a run defense look that you might play against 12 personnel let's say yeah i think in terms of the run game one of the most interesting wrinkles and i've really had a lot of fun breaking this down because the steelers run defense has just been a brick wall this year i mean they're second best in yards per carry at 3.4 the second fewest in yards per game allowed i think at like 66 just right behind the buccaneers but they're running this over front and they don't run it a ton but they'll do it against a lot of two back sets i know you guys use a fullback a good bit with patrick ricard and multiple tight ends and they'll shift the front to the strength so they'll shift the front um, they'll tilt the nose in the backside A-gap, and they'll move uh, the, the strong side defensive end, most often Cam Hayward, over the tight end. So that gets you Cam Hayward on a tight end, which is a matchup Hayward's going to win 100% of the time. And the overfront has been incredibly successful this season. I believe offenses are averaging, I think, around two yards per carry against it. Their success rate's around... 11 12 percent it's really really just been stopped for pittsburgh this year so i think if you guys come out in 12 personnel and two back sets and things like that you're going to see the steelers over front you're going to see kim hayward on mark andrews or nick boyle or whoever the tight end is and hayward's going to win that matchup and it gets a, it gets the uh, uh strong side outside linebacker off ball too so if hayward shifted to that side and tj watts on that side on the left side for example tj watts now going to be off ball in the a gap and he'll shoot that a gap hard to get penetration to force the run laterally into cam hayward on the tight end so i got a video breakdown on steelers depot on my youtube channel last week versus the browns about how effective that was that kind of explains it, it visually better than i probably can right now but the steelers overfront has been a tremendous wrinkle that no offense has been able to solve so far Okay, send send me a link to that. I'd love to uh, show that to the other Ravens fans here because I think they'd like to see it too. 
have they have they dealt with any read option quarterbacks as yet this year? Um, not in the way they'll see Lamar. I mean, they've dealt definitely dealt with mobile quarterbacks, Deshaun Watson, Carson Wentz to a lesser degree. I mean, every quarterback feels like it feels like every quarterback now can run the football to some degree. That's not you know Drew Brees or Tom Brady or Ben, but they you know, they played. Daniel Jones, who who's mobile enough, and Drew Locke, and um, uh, Deshaun Watson obviously is a threat, and Carson Wentz, and Baker Mayfield, though he had the rib injury, so he really wasn't moving a whole lot. So they haven't really, just to answer your question, I guess directly, not really. Definitely Baltimore will be the first test in that regard, but they've certainly faced a lot of mobile quarterbacks this year, and um, that's not going to be brand new to them. Okay, so a lot of that in in terms of being able to run the ball effectively or being able to decide whether you want to run or pass, which is probably more important, uh, is predicated on having the lead, at least for the Ravens. You know, they've, they're, you know, during the Jackson era, they're 24-0 and when they have the lead or are tied at halftime, and they're 0-6 when they don't. Mm. So it's, it's funny. You used to talk about the NBA game, and you just had to, had to you know, sign on or watch the game for the last two minutes. And you, you always thought if you, if you missed the first 30, you missed the game with Lamar Jackson. So <laughs> what, what it's interesting though, is because they faced all these mobile quarterbacks and talking about the past game, the Steelers have had to play a lot of zone defense and that is not their strength. They are at their best when they're playing two man cover one, stuff like that. And because of the threat of quarterbacks like Watson and Wentz and Mayfield, they can make plays with their legs. And of course, Lamar is going to be in that category above all those guys. Uh, honestly, um, that's going to force Pittsburgh to play more zone coverage. And, and that's where they struggle more than man. And so that's one of my biggest worries this weekend is the Steelers having to play a lot of spot drop zone coverage, get eyes on the quarterback, and that's going to create some soft spots and in, in zone for Lamar to pick apart. All right. All right. That's, that's a glimmer of hope for this game. Interesting how the line has worked on this game, that it opened up at five and a half and it quickly reduced to about three. And now it seems to have stabilized right between three and a half and four right now. Seem about right to you? Yeah. I mean, I think the line did that with Tennessee last week, where I think Pittsburgh entered the game as favorites and the line moved to Tennessee throughout the week for something like that. I don't follow the gambling stuff a whole lot, to be honest with you. But, uh, you, you know, it's Steelers Ravens. This game's always going to be close. It's going to be a field goal, fourth quarter type of game. And I don't see any reason why 2020 is going to be different. All right. Not me either. I uh, want to spend some time talking about rotation and snap management, particularly on the defensive line. Where you know th- those things can add up. Who who do they ha- what are, what are they doing now for depth on the defensive line and and how are snaps being managed? Well, it's interesting. The defense has not had to play a lot of snaps the last couple of weeks. The Steelers have had the ball for thirty four plus minutes in four straight games, and so the defense just hasn't had to log a lot of snaps, and they're doing a good job of getting off the field. So you haven't really had to to see a, a significant rotation because Hayward and Tua and those guys can play eighty percent, and because they're only playing maybe five plays a drive, they're able to stay fresh overall the offense is on the field for long stretches and it keeps guys fresh but but overall in terms of the rotation um replacing uh Hayward and Tuit are guys like Chris Warmly and Tyson uh Aluwalu um who's who's starting no stack well this year but also play some some base end and rotational type stuff some nickel packages and things like that um Warmly injured his knee oh you guys know Chris Warmly what am I sure. talking about <laughs> um he suffered a knee injury though this past week versus Tennessee he's having an MRI did not practice on Wednesday don't know his status right now if he'll play if he's not available to go it'll be second year guy Isaiah Bug six round pick out of Alabama and they called up a defensive lineman Henry Mondo who's nose tackle defensive end and fullback actually capable in a pinch um so the rotation's been basically Bugs and Warmly and Mondo but of course the guys who just rarely come off the field are, are Hayward and Tua types all right uh one thing I want to talk to you about about Bud Dupree Seems to be having a fine year by most of the traditional numbers. Sacks, quarterback hits, those kind of things. He's up among the league leaders. PFF destroys him. Do you know what's behind that? I, 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 what, where do they rank him? I haven't even checked the PFF. Okay, numbers. so I, I don't know among edge, but he's got a 55.6 overall defensive rating. Mm. And I, I, you know, People need to go out and buy PFF. I'm not supposed to talk about these directly. It's part of my subscription agreement is I won't do that. But I do encourage people to go out and look at it. And there's usually a different view. They've really banged the hell out of Patrick Queen, too. But at least I understand the reason for that. It's really most of some really lousy coverage that, mm-hmm. that 
gets to that. But I, but I don't understand it at all for Bud Dupree, and I was willing if, wondering if you could lend any kind of insight into that. Yeah, I couldn't make any uh, heads or tails of, of why that rating is so low. I think, honestly, he may be even better than where he was last year. For my money, he may be the best run-stopping edge in football, even better than T.J. Watt. I mean, there was a play last week versus Nate Davis, the right guard of Tennessee, who's pulling around. Davis is a pretty big dude, a squatty guy out of Charlotte, and Dupree just throws his shoulder into him and jolts him back and, and, and helps tackle Derrick Henry in the backfield for a three-yard loss. I mean, I think Dupree's playing at a really high level, both in run and pass. They're not dropping into coverage a whole lot. They're dropping as little as ever. I mean, they were... Um, Bud Dupree, I think his rookie year, dropping the coverage about 25% of the time. They're down to about 5 6% this year. I mean, these guys are going forward, getting after the quarterback, and I think both Watt and Dupree... Their crazy work ethics, they rarely come off the field. Uh, they run to the football like crazy. They're super strong. and They're good pass rushers. Watt better than Dupree, but both very, very good. And so I think they're among the best tandem, if not the best tandem in football. Okay, well, fair enough. Uh, I, I, Watt is number one in PFF's ranking of edge rushers, and Bud Dupree is down at number 51 mm-hmm. out of 68 guys who played half the snaps. That se- it, it does not seem right to me. But uh, uh, we'll we'll see. I appreciate you at least commenting on it there briefly. Linebacker, do they have any platooning now? And I know Spillane is in there now as the inside linebacker replacing Devin Bush. Is there any other platooning going on at the at the inside linebacker spots? As of last week, there were because obviously the big loss here defensively is Devin Bush, who tore his ACL out for the season in the Browns game, and that is such a massive loss not only for the season, but of course trying to defend someone like Mark Andrews, defend someone like J.K. Dobbins or Lamar Jackson, obviously. So Spillane last week versus Tennessee played in base and nickel, and then in dime, both Spillane and Vince Williams came off the field, and second-year linebacker Ulysses Gilbert III was the dime backer. He's an athletic type that is in that Devin Bush type of mold. So that's the way they broke it up last week now Tomlin said one big reason for that was because they didn't want Spillane to go from backup not playing at all to playing every single snap from a fatigue snap management standpoint so there's a chance that could change as Spillane kind of gets better conditioning and more comfortable with playing those snaps I doubt it's going to happen this week so quickly and facing an athletic quarterback like Lamar Jackson UG3 probably better suited in that dime role than Spillane but um, that is the rotation right now Spillane and Basin Nickel and Gilbert III playing in dime packages all right all right that's a fairly traditional one inside linebacker dime package there mm-hmm. that you're describing um, who's got the green dot now that Bush is out? I don't, he might not even had it before, but I assume Minka or is it, is it, uh, Edmonds? Uh, Bush had it before he was, cause he was the every down guy. He was given it this year. Now Spillane has it, which is interesting because I'm not sure who has it when Spillane's coming off the field. I haven't wow. been able to discover that. I don't know if it's, if it's UG three, if it's Cam Sutton, who's her uh, dime backer, who's a really intelligent guy, maybe the smartest guy on that defense. It might be Minka. I don't think it's Edmonds. But Spillane has it whenever he's on the field. I'm not quite sure how they're doing things in right. dime right now. And for the record, they're in dime basically just end of half, end of game, and anything third and five plus. Right. So, okay, pretty pretty typical use of dime in the yeah. NFL today. But but if if it wasn't Gilbert and Spillane, then I don't know how they could do it because you, you have to have really a one-for-one exchange of somebody going out, somebody coming in with right. the green dot helmet or you end up with two on the field. Exactly. I mean, there's honestly a chance that, that no one has a green dot, and because mm-hmm. it's dime, and maybe they're doing it from the sideline where the coach is just telling UG3, the Gilbert the third, this is going to be the play because he's only the dime backer, and so they kind of know what they're running out of dime. So it, that may even be a solution, but uh, honestly, I, I have not been able to uncover, and, and no one's asked Mike Tomlin yet, so I don't know who's replacing Spillane with the green dot when he's not on the field. Okay, that's fascinating. I mean, that that would work if you're going in for one play. It wouldn't work if you're going in for multiple plays, end of half, end of game, right. to try and stop a job and relay signal. So there's got to be something going on there. Yeah, and you guys are Chuck Clark, green dot? Chuck, Chuck Clark is the guy, and behind him, I think Deshaun Elliott is the next guy because the Ravens don't really have an every-down linebacker at this point. Patrick Queen's uh, not playing a lot of third downs, coming kind of coming into the league the same way Ray Lewis did. Okay, that's interesting. I thought Queen was the cover guy, but he's just not ready for the intricacies of the NFL. <laughs> like, to put the, 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 uh, the trait-based scouting would tell you he's got the tools to do it, but in terms of just understanding what his responsibilities are, he's not there yet. Mm-hmm. Well, that's and, what Devin Bush was. and He didn't play in dime year one, so that's probably the same arc. Sure, sure. That, that, uh, that certainly can work. 
And and all these guys take big jumps usually between year one and year two. And and what I've been what I've liked about what I've seen from Queen is he's improved in some part of his game every week. But I don't want this to be the week that the Ravens try and make him a good cover game <laughs> in the most important game of the season. So okay. I'd I'd much rather just see a uh, a, a, a what we call the, what I call the race car package with four outside linebackers and one defensive lineman with a dime defense behind it. So it's uh, not too many teams really run that. Now, they never ran that in Baltimore before two years ago, but uh, now it's become a very popular package for them. And you guys are doing a lot of pressure looks off of that, don't know who's coming, dropping. Is that still the field yeah. for Baltimore? Yeah, Judon and Bowser are both on the field for it, so it gives you the maximum flexibility. They, but I, I don't know if you if you heard this, but they had sacks by five different defensive backs, which was the NFL record. Previous record is three for a regular season game. Wow. In, wow. in, in one game, and that was against, what, Washington or Washington or Philadelphia? The Bengals. I'm forgetting which game it was recently. It was one of the last three. Mm, yeah, Wink Martindale, one of my favorite DCs. He's doing a great job over there. Yeah, a lot of fun. A lot of fun, that's for sure. Uh, is there one player you think that matches up really well against the Ravens this week? Um, On either side of the football? I think. Either side. Yeah, I, I don't know if there's one. I mean, these are always just so evenly matched games, and, and Baltimore's defense has played well, and I never underestimate that offense at all. Um. Just speaking of, of of what I'm hearing from you, because I I'm just about to get in the Ravens defensive tape, um, those issues that Patrick Queen might be having in coverage, so I could see someone like a Juju or an Eric Ebron making plays over the middle of the field. Um, but I don't know if there's one one name that fits, just because these teams are just always so so darn even. The guy the guy I would pick on the Steelers would probably be Stephon Tuitt, and particularly if he lines up as a three tech a fair amount on the right guard on the side opposite the right guard Phillips. Yeah. So that would be the one. So Tyree might be there or McCary might be there. Who's a very short armed guy and to it as a bigger man is definitely going to have some arm length advantages that have been really difficult for McCary to deal with. Mm. So we're not sure that he's going to start. It might be, might be Phillips if he's healthy. I think it probably will be, but other, he is, he's very long armed. He could, he'll, he gave Fletcher Cox a lot of trouble, actually, in the in the game they just played. Yeah. But but uh, otherwise, I think the Ravens could be could be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> and honestly, pound for pound, to it, and I say this knowing the talent on the Steelers defense, Stephon Tuitt might be the most talented player on that defense. And he got hurt last year with a torn pec, six games in, and he was having a career year, and he's carried that over into this season. So I think regardless of whether it's Phillips, who I know is making the transition from left tackle to right guard, um, in a pandemic year it's probably gonna be difficult to do i think that is that's probably the best pick out of anyone too it's gonna win i think regardless who you guys have at right guard all right all right fair enough how are you how are you feeling about the departure of carlos dunlap from the afc north good i don't have to see him bat down a million passes yeah, on ben there's... now i mean that's just that's what he did every year versus ben so and it's funny because the, the Bengals traded for bj finney he was a steelers backup center guard last year so now he's back in the uh, afc north but yeah dunlap was always a thorn in pittsburgh side all right, we didn't we didn't really talk about the secondary as much as we should have here. So why not give you another minute here or so to talk about the secondary and where they stand right now? Yeah, it's been a little bit of regression from last year, maybe because the bar was set so high in 2019 that it was just going to be hard to repeat. There's definitely some athletic regression with Joe Hayden. He's still a really intelligent corner. I think him and Steven Nelson support the run as well as any cornerback tandem in football. But these guys have not played as well as last year. Minka has not played as well as last season. His missed tackle rate is double. Last year, he missed tackles at 10% clip. This year, it's 20%. He had a key miss on A.J. Brown, 73-yard touchdown versus Tennessee that kind of really gave life to the Titans in the second half of that one that started the comeback. I mean, this guy's still a good player. He's a good playmaker. you got to watch out for him. They're trying to drop him into more of a robber, you know, a hook zone type role instead of being in center field to make more plays. But Minka mm-hmm. has not been as strong this year as last year. Terrell Edmonds, as I mentioned earlier, has improved. But overall, the secondary has been a slight disappointment. It has not played quite as well. And then from an injury standpoint, uh, slot corner Mike Hilton missed last week with a shoulder injury. He did not practice on Wednesday. I think he's going to play this weekend, especially knowing it's Steelers-Ravens. He's going to give it a go. But he's always an aggressive slot corner, great against the run, great blitzer. If he's not available, that will ding the secondary a little bit more. All right, fair enough. Now, the the uh, Steelers had a pretty good shot at the Ravens in Week 17 last year because RG3 was in instead of uh, Jackson, of course. What What's different about the defense then from now that would be the biggest addition? I see it's a, it's a fairly veteran defense. I'm trying to think of who's really new on that defense right now. But what's what's different 
about that defense that should mean that the, the Steelers would be able to defend much better than they did then. It's not a whole lot, as you said. The only guys they lost in the offseason uh, before injury struck this year were Mark Barron, which to me was addition by subtraction, and Javon Hargrave, who went to Philadelphia, but now the Steelers have Tyson Alualu with nose tackle, and he's doing a fantastic job. He's found the fountain of youth at 33, 30, 34 years old. Now, obviously, losing Devin Bush is, is a big loss for this defense, but in terms of addition and why they could be better suited versus Baltimore, I'm not quite sure, but it'll be interesting. You know, In that Week 17 game you mentioned, Pittsburgh had the uh defensive attack of the mesh charge where they were just going after RG3 on every even potential read option regardless of whether he kept it or handed it off and so they really went after RG3 on that mesh charge and I wonder if they're going to do the same versus Lamar uh Sunday which they did not do in the first meeting versus Lamar last year so I just wonder what kind of defensive wrinkle they're going to scheme up with because as you said it's a veteran team it's a veteran coaching staff Keith Butler's been the DC for five plus years now he's been on staff since 2004 so they're always going to have some sort of just change up an unexpected attack defensively to try to surprise the Ravens to try to contain Lamar Jackson uh, or RG3 and so in the case of last year week 17 it was the mesh charge I wonder what's in the Steelers bag of tricks for this week we'll find out all right I got a good it's a it's a game plan by team that's very discernible to you as you watch the Steelers play like that's something that we're really excited about from Martindale is that we always get a different game plan. It's really more tailored to the opposing team. It's not just a one, one speed kind of defense. Mm -hmm. And I think it has to be, especially in these AFC North games, because each yeah. team is so familiar with another, you have to do something different that just kind of throws you off kilter a little bit of an, Oh, I didn't expect the Steelers were going to do that. And I'm sure likewise, Pittsburgh saying the same about Baltimore and what kind of just little wrinkle, nothing huge, but just, little change up and curveball they're going to throw at the opposing offense. All right. Well, really enjoying that the, the Steven Steelers and Ravens rivalry is where it is again. This is a, you know, a great place for it to be and it should be a great game coming up. Alex, thanks so much for joining us. Let's tell people where they can find your work. Yeah, thank you guys so much. You can find us over on SteelersDepot.com. We'll have a full Ravens scouting report, offense and defense. It'll come out Friday morning for the website. And then you can follow me on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora, K-O-Z-O-R-A. All right, Josh, anything you need to talk about? Uh, no, we just please keep sharing the show, spreading it on social media, and go on over to MyBookie and use the code RAVENS. Right now, it ha my bookie has the line for this game at four points. Four points. Okay, so, that's about consistent with what I've seen overseas. Yep. I'll be avoiding that game, but <laughs> maybe someone will want to jump on it. I am intrigued by the prop bet. If you go on into the prop bets on my bookie, and there's a prop bet for if either team will score three times in a row. Three times in a row. Okay. Yeah. Before, you know, before three straight scores by either team. All right. But by the way, Alex, you may or may not know this. The Ravens have a whole bunch of scoring record streaks on the line here. They've, they have the all-time NFL record, which is incredible. This is the Ravens now, with 101 consecutive halves with a score. Wow. Yeah. They have wow. – they are within one game of Denver's all-time record for the most consecutive games with 20 or more points at 29. So the Steelers definitely a threat to end that. And if I look back at all the times, the last time they didn't do it, it's like all against the Steelers. <laughs> it's, so it's a, you know, this will be a big game and uh, obviously very, very important game in the AFC North. Both these teams are going to be there, I feel like, in the playoffs. But the next five games in particular for the Ravens going to very much have a big determinant on seeding. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this will be a big game for both sides, Baltimore especially. Steelers have one streak going on. I forget the exact number. I think it's 63 straight games with a sack. I think like that's wow. second of all time, only behind, I forget who's in first place. I think they're still a ways off from first. So that's the one streak I can give you, and I think the Steelers are probably going to keep that streak alive on Sunday. They better. If they don't, they probably don't win this game. Yeah, I would agree. It's probably likely anyway. Uh, outstanding. Uh, go, go to Film Study Baltimore, folks. Uh, take a look. The offensive and defensive reviews are out there. You can get them in podcast format. You can get them in written format if you want more details in particular on the individual packages run on defense. You want offensive oh, line that, scoring. They're that reminds there. me, Ken, the offensive line grades are now updated Outstanding. over on filmstudybottomore.com as well. Okay, so we finally got the charts done for the offensive line. Thanks very yep. much to at Yoshi2052 for being the guy who does that. Uh, a lot of you know him as Josh or as organized chaos and a uh, uh, great uh, uh, guy to help and uh, and uh, great analyst. So you should give him a follow as well. Anyway, thanks for joining us again. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study.
Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture, and when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.